It's good to see you all this morning. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a joy to have you in our house. I've missed you the last couple weeks, a couple Sundays ago. Uh, pastor Brady got sick, and so I got the call. I preached at our main campus, so kind of on, uh, on short notice there. And then uh, last Sunday, just catching some midsummer R&R up in the mountains. It was delightful, but I'm happy to be back with you this morning. Uh, we're going to start a little series this morning called The Church as a Sign. The Church as a Sign. Talking about the way in which the common life of the church is actually a sign of the kingdom that is to come. This moment in the church calendar is what we call ordinary time. So Easter leads into Pentecost. Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out and the church is born. And then you have this long stretch of time that lasts all the way until Advent called ordinary time. Everybody say ordinary time. You say, what is ordinary time? It's where you learn all of the ordinary things about being the church. What does it actually mean to people to be the people of God? The kingdom has not come in its fullness yet. There is this stretch of time in which we're just awaiting God. And so there's the ordinary business of just getting on with being God's people, what does that look like? And so we want to take some of the ordinary pieces of the church's life and pull them apart and talk about how they signal the kingdom that is to come. I want to start in Acts chapter 2 this morning and just think for a moment. We talk about the church being a sign. I want to think for a moment about what it means, what we mean when we talk about signs. This is after the Spirit is poured out. Everybody's speaking in tongues. They pour out onto the streets. And Peter stands up in the midst of this group. Remember, Jews from every nation from under heaven were there for Pentecost. Everybody's going, what are these people? They're drunk, you know? It's like nine in the morning. Crazy Jesus followers. What are they doing? And Peter gets up and says that he addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Or as some people that I know say, it's noon somewhere. Uh, Anyway, that's a multi-layered joke. You can think about that one later. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke, verse 20. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everybody calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in the mind of Peter, pulling this text from Joel the prophet, in the mind of Peter, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit always goes hand in hand with the manifestation of wonders and signs. Everybody say wonders and signs. Always goes hand in hand with the presence of the Spirit or the presence of the kingdom in our midst. In fact, as he starts unpacking this text a little bit in verse 22, he says, listen to this, fellow Israelites, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and then and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Yay, wonders and signs. But that still doesn't really answer the question, does it? Like, what is a sign? When we talk about a sign in the biblical witness, what exactly are we talking about. Now we know about signs in the modern world. This is road trip season. I love road trip season where we just get out of Dodge, we pile into the van or wherever and you go somewhere. I'd love that. And when you go somewhere, there are signs everywhere, aren't there? And what are the signs doing? They're telling you Colorado Springs that way. Or if you're leaving Colorado Springs, Topeka. Nobody really goes to Topeka, do they? I'm sorry if you're from Topeka. 
Des Moines, Kansas City, Los Angeles. The sign, what is the sign doing? It's pointing the way, showing you which way to go. So signs do that. A sign is showing you which way you want to go if you want to reach your destination, right? But signs do more than that. There's another sentence in which we have, we use the word sign. When you enter into like new territory, you know, like you leave the state of Colorado and uh, like where I'm from is uh, Wisconsin. So when we get to Wisconsin, there's this big wooden sign that looks like the state of Wisconsin. And you know what it says? Welcome to Wisconsin. And then it gives you these words to like define the ethos of Wisconsin. Recreation. Industry. There's a third one. Help me. I'm on the platform all by myself. Farming. Cheese. Culture. Agriculture. That makes a lot of sense. Nailed it. Hope that nobody from Wisconsin is watching this right now. They're going to revoke my Wisconsin card. What does it do? What's that sign doing? It's defining like where you are. I love coming back to Colorado for that reason. See the Colorado sign? Welcome to Colorado, right? It's colorful Colorado. Yes. Home. The sign that I don't understand, and I'm sorry if I offend you this morning if you're from this place, but the Nebraska sign, do you know about the Nebraska sign? You get there, welcome to Nebraska, and then it says Nebraska. Dot, dot, dot. I mean, I just feel like, like if you have an ellipses on your state sign, that's saying something already about your state, okay? Nebraska dot, 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 the good life? I don't know. Are you convinced about that, Nebraska people? I just not, but what's the sign doing? The sign is showing you where you are. So signs do that, right? So in the biblical imagination, this is what signs do. A sign both reveals God's will and purpose for the world, shows us something of where we're going, but also the sign reveals the kingdom that is in our midst and among us right now. So the sign shows us where we're going, and it also shows us where we are. And I actually think that it's not just the signs and the wonders that go along with the church, but I actually think the whole of the life of the church is a sign and a wonder. Paul actually says this in Philippians. He's talking to the Philippian believers about their manner of life. And he says that if you live this way, it'll be a sign to the outside world of who you belong to. The church itself is actually a sign. So what we're going to do is take some things that we do in church and talk about how they signal the kingdom that both is and is to come. This morning, I want to talk to you about why we sing. Why we sing. When you open the pages of Scripture, you see that singing is everywhere in the biblical record. In fact, it's very difficult to even go to any page of Scripture and not see somebody bursting forth into song. I think about some of the high watermark moments, singing moments in the biblical record. This is at the Red Sea. After the Egyptians had been vanquished, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he is hurled into the sea. And the song goes on and on and on. All Israel, they're gathered at the seashore extolling God for what God did for them. They sing because of the goodness of God. Or I think about the book of the Psalms, which is just one long song. Psalmist says in Psalm 33, I love this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. And it is, what's the word there? It's fitting for the upright to praise him. I love that. That what we do when we open our mouths and we speak to God of who he is and what he's done, it fits who he is. It's the appropriate thing to do. 
psalmist says it's fitting for the upright to praise him. So praise the Lord with the harp and make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing a new song. Play skillfully. This is even appropriate. This is fitting. Shout for joy. You know, just lift up your voice and let God hear you, the psalmist says. For the word of the Lord is right and true and he's faithful in all he does. Verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The psalmist says, because of what God is and what he's done, what are you supposed to do? It's not a trick question. Sing. Because God is good. Because he's taken good care of you. Because he's watched over you every day of your life. So sing to him. Love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He writes this, a verse that we're familiar with. He says, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead, what are you going to do? Be filled with the Spirit. And he means that continually, not one time. But you keep being filled with the Spirit. And watch what he says here in verse 19. This is the immediate result of being filled with the Spirit. He says you're going to speak to one another with what? Psalms and hymns and... Isn't that funny? It's like for Paul, the singing is actually to one another, you know? It's like you're so full of the Spirit that what we do is we start speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The praise of God is our dialect. It's our vernacular. It's what we do. Psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart always to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The immediate practical result of being filled with the Spirit for Paul is that we're singing people. We open our lips. The Spirit liberates our tongue to sing the praises of God. But why is it that we sing? I want to give you three reasons, three dimensions of our worship to the Lord. Number one, we sing. It's the most obvious thing I could say about it. We sing, number one, because we are happy and thankful. Everybody say happy and thankful. Say thankful. We're happy and we're thankful. Now, on one level... This is just what human beings do. When we're happy and when we're thankful, we just kind of start singing. This is in the Arn household. Uh, summer is birthday season for us. Birthdays left and right and every month, all the birthdays. And I love birthdays, not just for cake. I actually hate cake. What I like is frosting. Frosting is where it's at. And we all know the reason that we have cake is so that we can eat frosting and ice cream. But the other thing that I like about birthdays is the singing. And we sing in the Arn household, we sing boisterously for the birthdays. That happy birthday song, you have not heard it sung until you have sung it with the Arns. And we sometimes, sometimes, rarely actually sing it good. Mostly we sing it bad, but we always sing it loud. Everybody in all kinds of different keys, you know. And happy birthday to the candles and the singing's not done because then dad jumps in with four he's a jolly good fellow for he's a jolly good fellow for he's a jolly good fellow you're loving this this morning I know (laughs) which nobody can deny which nobody can deny which nobody can and Mandy hates this But I love it. This human is alive. Let's sing. 
That's what we do as human beings, you know, or you get together with your friends in a restaurant or bar or a pub or something. I don't know anything about this. Our British worship leader, Andy, has told me that they do this in pubs. But people sing, you know. All of a sudden, somebody puts a song on the jukebox and now everybody's going or song breaks out. This is what humans do and they get together and they're happy. They just lift up songs. Have you ever been to a concert, a band that you really like, and you're there with thousands or tens of thousands of people and we all know the song and they get to the one song that's like their song, the song, and all the lights go down and you take out, it used to be you took out some kind of light, but now it's your cell phone. Everybody hold up the cell phone in the air and you're waving it back and forth and singing the song. And it's a transcendent moment. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Human beings just do that. I think of the poet Gregory Orr who, writes, who wrote, to be alive, he said, not just the carcass, but the spark. That's crudely put, he said, but if we're not supposed to dance, why all this music? We live in a world that's full of music. The old song talked about the music of the spheres. It's around us all the time. I think that as human beings, we do tap into it. But if we don't know God, then we're kind of in a rough spot because all the singing, it's just, what is it for? Think about G.K. Chesterton. He said that the worst moment for the atheist is when he feels genuinely thankful, but he's got nobody to thank. But for the people of God, we have somebody to thank. But James says that every good and perfect gift is from above. All the goodness that we've experienced in our lives, that comes straight from the hand of God. And so when we get together, what we do is we give God thanks for that. And somehow it renews the relationship with God. Think about when somebody gives you a gift and you respond with gratitude. The relationship is nourished and strengthened. So for the people of God, their whole life together, all that we know and experience, all of it, we think it's straight from the hands of the maker, which is why we conclude our services every week here at New Life East with praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're taking the goodness that God has given us and rebounding it back unto the Lord. I think about the first worship service that we had gathered together after COVID hit back in 2020, the great shutdown, the quarantine, and up at New Life North, you know, we had to shut down all the offsite congregations. And when we reopened, social distancing masks and all that stuff, but we reopened at New Life North on Pentecost Sunday, 2020. And some of you in this room might have been in that service. Guys, I can count on one hand the number of services that I've been in in my life that were more electric than that. After all of the being sequestered away and not seeing one another, all of a sudden to be in church again and to look around and to go, look, there are other humans. And we sang from our hearts, he's delivered us. He's carrying us. Well, every week when we gather together, that's what we're doing. We're looking around and we're going, he's delivered us and he's carrying us. His kindness has brought us to this moment. Thank God. And somehow when we give him praise, the relationship is renewed. The relationship is strengthened. New grace breaks into our lives. So why do the people of God sing? Because we have something to sing about. We are happy and we are thankful, number one. Number two, we sing also in order to inhabit the truest truth when our hearts are heavy and fearful and sad. See, sometimes you come into the house of God for worship and you're just not feeling it. 
you're not feeling happy and you're not feeling thankful. Because life has a way of doing that to you, doesn't it? Pushes you under, submerges you in sadness. And the psalmist knows that too. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. He says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's a picture of a human life submerged in sadness. And that happens to us. There are times that life beats us up and the crap hits the fan and things are just not going well for us. And so our worship at that point is not just our kind of being effervescent and chipper and happy clappy and everything is wonderful. But our worship at that point is taking the sadness of our hearts and locating it in the truest things about God and of ourselves. Think about what Isaiah says to the people of God after their lives have been ripped apart by exile. All that they know, all that they love, all that they dreamed of for their future has been taken away. And he says this, Isaiah 54 and verse 1. What does he tell them to do? Sing. Yeah, I know you're heavy and sad, but what are you going to do? Sing. Yeah, I know all that you hoped for from your future has been taken away, but what are you going to do? Sing. Sing. And then he names their situation. He says, sing, O barren woman. It's a figure for how the people of God were experiencing their own life at that moment. That there was no life, no hope, no future. They would be cut off. They were like a woman who could not conceive. Sing, barren woman. And why are you going to sing? Burst into song and shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. That should make us pause. Wait, Isaiah, how can you say this? Sing, barren woman. You just called me a barren woman. But now you're saying more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband? How is that true? How are you holding that together? How are you calling the people of God a barren woman and saying that they have more children than the one who has a husband? Well, Isaiah knows something about God. That because God holds the key to all of our futures, when we're located in God and locked into God, then even when it feels like everything has been stripped away, our future is good because God holds our future. Are you with me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? So we don't just sing because we're happy and thankful, but we sing when our hearts are heavy and sad to locate ourselves in the truest truth about God. And it does something to us. It puts hope back in our hearts. Our colleague Glenn Packey, one of the pastors on staff here at New Life, has done a ton of research in the area of worship. And one of the things, did a, it did a doctoral dissertation on worship. And one of the things that he was looking at is how worship connects to the experience of hope. When people of God come into worship, frequently they report leaving worship and feeling more hopeful. Well, why is that? Is it because of something mystical that happens? Is it because of the content of the songs? Like, what is the deal? What's actually happening? And in his research, one of the things that he found is that in order to experience hope, you need to have two things. Put the next slide up on the screen. You need to have both agency and pathway. Agency and pathway. Let me explain. Agency is my feeling that something can be done about the present situation. So if I'm feeling, if I'm in the middle of some difficulty or some trouble, if I feel that I can do something about it, I'll feel a little bit more hopeful. But also, with that agency, I need to have some kind of a pathway. There needs to be some kind of a plan that I have for making things right. So if my finances are a mess, okay, well, I've got a little bit of money here and I still have my job. And if I make some adjustments here, 
I can move into financial wholeness. Or if my body has gotten to be a mess, okay, I've got some things that I can do about that. I'm going to adjust my eating. I'm going to exercise a little bit more, go to sleep on time, and I'll get my body right. Agency plus pathway. But there are lots of times in life, and you know this, when both agency and pathway are taken away from us. You look at the thing that seems impossible and there's nothing more for you to do and there's no obvious direction for you to go. So what happens in worship, and this is what Glenn discovered, what happens in worship is that we take agency, the ability to do things, and pathway, that path to a good future, and we locate them not in ourselves, but in who? We put them. How many times have you experienced that? God, I don't know what to do here, but my eyes are on you. God, I don't know what to do about this situation, but my eyes are on you. God, it's feeling really hopeless. This relationship feels like it's fractured, but I'm putting my, what are we doing? We're transferring agency and pathway to God. And then what's happening? We're experiencing hope. Because we know that we're not responsible for fixing our future. God is. God can do that. But I think about, uh, it was a time that Mandy and I were in this incredibly dark space. Agency and hope and pathway had fled for us. Not having any idea. How are we going to get to where we want to go? Felt like the future broken into pieces. And I remember being in a worship service. Presence of God is beginning to fall. And you know how it is. When you're in worship, you're always trying to kind of locate yourself in worship. Where am I given how I'm feeling? And I was feeling so utterly hopeless in the moment. And I remember we get through a couple songs of worship and then they do that old song by Jesus Culture. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. The God who was and is to come. The power of the risen one. The God who brings the dead to life. You're the God of miracles. The God of miracles. And we sang that song over and over and over again. And I remember weeping through that song and my heart breaking open. And the service ends. And Andrew Hart walks out with his shoulders back and his head held high. And literally nothing had changed. Except that I'd located agency and pathway in God. And the one thing that did change was that it gave me courage to face the thing, knowing that God was present in the thing to turn it around. And by the way, he turned it around. We don't just sing when we're happy and thankful, but we also sing when our hearts are heavy and sad because we're locating ourselves in the truest truth about God and the world around us and who we are. And that does something to us. It shifts our disposition. But it's more than that. Number three, we also sing to make the power of the future present in the here and now. Worship doesn't just change this. And it doesn't just change this. Though both of those things are important. It's important that our thoughts are straightened out. And it's important that our disposition is affected. Worship also changes what's going on around us. And I think about the great story of Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, chapter 16. You might 
Remember the story, Paul and Silas are ministering in Philippi. And they see a girl one day who's demon-possessed. And by virtue of this demon, she was able to tell fortunes, predict the future. And so she had a couple folks that owned her. And they were making tons of money off of this gal. Uh, having her fortune telling people would pay them for that. Paul and Silas see her. They go, this is a bad situation. So they cast the demon out of this young woman, which disrupts the economics. And everybody's freaked out about it. And so they get Paul and Silas thrown into prison. And we read this in Acts 16, verse 25, that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're locked away in a dark dungeon. They cannot do anything. And so what does Paul do? He starts singing. He follows his own advice. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music always in your heart to the Lord. He does it there. And they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners are listening in as this is going on. And suddenly, verse 26, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And as you start reading the story, the jailer is so freaked out by this. Like all these prisoners are running out like, I'm going to be executed. So this jailer draws his sword to run himself through. You know, like I'd rather kill myself than be killed by others. And Paul goes, no, 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 stop. This man of God restores order to this chaotic environment. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes like, let me just tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the one who's doing all of this. And that jailer and his whole household, they get baptized. Everybody is saved. And when finally the report gets back to the magistrates, God had so turned their hearts around that we pick this up in verse 36. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered you and Silas, be released. Now you can leave. Go. Think about that. The secular leader somehow, his life is transformed and he sends Paul and Silas out. And it's all predicated on the worship, the singing. This earthquake breaks in and the prison doors are open and the captives are set free. I'm saying to you that worship is not just about here and it's not just about here. But worship also changes what's going on around here. The psalmist said it so well in Psalm 22 and verse 3. Yet you are holy, O God. You are enthroned where? God is enthroned where? On the praises of his people. That when God's people get together and they start singing, it's not just that God's like, well, that's nice. I'm glad that you like me so much. Nor is it the people of God get together and they start singing, you know, and they, okay, we'll check the religious box. We did our thing. And now we've really kind of stirred up our team spirit again. But when God's people get together and they start singing, the power of God is made present to them. God is actually enthroned in that place, in that moment, which is why we see so many miracles in the house of God when they're gathered together for worship. It happens all the time in the New Testament. You think about all the signs and wonders and miracles take place. But for 2,000 years, guys, it's been taking place. And think about St. Augustine in his book, The City of God. He's giving a defense for Christianity and the resurrection and one of his great defenses for the resurrection is that miracles still take place. He tells a story 
about a woman who was diagnosed with terminal uh, breast cancer. And the woman is all freaked out by it. What am I going to do? How am I going to have a future? You know, what is my life going to be? She has a dream in the middle of the night in which in the dream, she's told by an angel to go to the next worship service. And at that worship service, the first person who gets up out of the baptistry, so getting ready to baptize people, the first person to get out of the baptistry, ask that person to pray over you and you will be healed. So she goes to church. The next Sunday is an Easter Sunday. And she's there and this young woman gets up out of, she's baptized, this woman like newly born again into the kingdom of God. This young woman gets out of the baptistry The lady with breast cancer comes up to her and goes, hey, I had this dream. I've got this thing. I feel like the Lord told me that you're supposed to pray for me and I'll get better. So the young woman goes, okay. Makes the sign of the cross over the afflicted area and prays over her and the woman is healed on the spot. (laughs) The lady goes to her doctor who is also a believer and she tells the whole thing. He checks her over, no cancer left. And he goes, and then he asks how it happened. And she explained the whole story. And he goes, well, I thought you were going to tell me something remarkable. Jesus is the one who raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. Surely he can cure cancer, right? It's what God does. But for Augustine, all of these stories, what's fascinating about them is that they all happen in church. I don't know how to explain it, guys. But there's something that happens when we get together. There's power that's released. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. That God literally mounts up on his throne and all the enemies of God are put underneath his feet. It happens here in worship. That addictions are broken in worship. Deliverance happens in worship. Breakthrough happens in worship. Healing happens in worship. I told a story not too long ago about a guy who was worshiping in one of our New Life congregations. This guy had been, he served in the military, had suffered a bad injury that, uh, that relegated him to about 15 degrees range of motion with his neck so he could only really turn his head about this far. Chiropractors had tried their thing. Doctors had tried their thing. Nobody could fix him. And he'd prayed and prayed and prayed, God, heal me. God, heal me. And then he's in worship. And the power of God was present. And somebody got up on the platform and said, look, God's spirit is present. He is here right now. And I feel like he's here to heal people and deliver them and to create breakthrough. So if you're needing breakthrough, would you stick your hand up high? Do all these hands go up all over the place. And this guy didn't put his hand up. He was like, I don't know. I've prayed about this thing. Maybe God just wants me to live with my neck being like this. So he doesn't put his hand up. Everybody else has got their hand up. And the person from the stage goes, okay, now, if you're standing around somebody that's got their hand in the air, why don't you just reach your hand out and start praying for them? So he does. He reaches his hands out and he starts praying for these people around him. And he said, and as I did that, I felt like there was this warm sensation on the back of my neck. Like somebody had put their hand on the back of my neck. He said, so I turned around to look to see who's got their hand on me. And all of a sudden I heard my neck pop like. He goes, and also also in that moment, I realized I'm turning my neck like all the way. He goes, and so I decided to do it on the other side just to see. And sure enough, I got my neck craned back this way. And he went to the doctor. The doctor checks him over and he's healed. And not even because he was seeking healing, but because he was just being a conduit of what was happening in that moment. Guys, we don't worship an idea. That's not why we're here. We're not here to just rehearse religious ideas. We're not living in the memory of a dead God. 
We're living in the power of the presence of the one who was and is and is to come. We're not just waiting to meet God in his enthronement in the there and thereafter, but we're waiting to meet him here and now to be revealed among us. And somehow worship does it. Faith is stirred up in us and it draws upon the power of God. I think about all the times I'm ranting a little bit this morning. We're going to sing in just a second here. But I think about all of the times in the gospels where Jesus said, according to your what will it be done to you? According to your faith. That somehow what faith does is faith draws upon the power of God. Think about the woman who had the issue of blood in the gospels. Jesus is passing by and there's this whole mob of people around him. And she says to herself, if only I can touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And she presses through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment by faith. And do you remember what the scripture says? Jesus turns around and he said, who touched me? I know that power has gone out of me. Think about that. Faith drew on the power of God in Jesus even when Jesus wasn't sensibly aware of what was going on. Faith does that. And when we're gathered together in the house of God, somehow faith is stirred up in our midst. That's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Can you receive that, brothers and sisters? Would you stand to your feet? And this is what I want you to do this morning. We're going to sing about the power of God this morning. We're going to sing about his ability to work miracles. We're going to sing about his ability to bring breakthrough. Probably everybody in this room has something that they're holding before the Lord that you feel like in some way your agency and your pathway have run out of steam. And I want you to take that thing this morning and I want you to give that to God. And trust that somehow the power of God is able to move on that thing in a way that you're not able to. And it might be also that you're here this morning and life is just going swimmingly for you. And do you know what I say to you this morning? Thanks be to God for that. Those moments are too few and far between in this life. But surely you are connected to people that need breakthrough. And so this morning, I want you to leverage your faith on behalf of those people that you're praying for, the marriages that are not working, the children that are estranged, the financial situations that are stuck, the bodies that need healing and let this moment be a moment where faith is stirred up in your heart and released to those people. So Jesus, we welcome you. Church, would you lift your hands and now begin to welcome the power and the presence of the spirit. We say open our lips in this place this morning and our mouth will proclaim your praise. Put praise on our lips. Put worship on our lips. Teach us again to sing. We're trusting that you'll move this morning, oh God. I also want to do one thing before we jump into worship here. I want to invite any members of our altar ministry team that are here. I want to invite you guys to come forward now, but don't come down to the front. I want to have our altar ministry team line the sides of our gymnasium over here. And if you're in a place this morning where you're feeling really stuck and you just need somebody to pray for you, I want to invite you just to excuse yourself during worship here and just receive prayer in faith that God will move over it. So God, come, we pray be enthroned this morning on the praises of your people.
As we come to the table, what name can we call upon but that of Jesus? It is him who has made a space for us at this table. It is him who has pulled up a seat for us. It is him who has brought meaning and purpose to it. By doing so, he, he gathered his closest friends around him and he took a piece of bread on the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. New Life East, would you take that piece of bread and would you break it? And he said, this, this bread is my body, which is broken for each and every one of you. Every time you eat, would you do so in remembrance of me? New Life East, would you take and would you eat? That same night he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you every time you drink it, would you do so remembering that this is the kind of God that, that comes to where his people are. That in the midst of their frailties and their suffering and their difficulties, he comes and he somehow meets them face to face. New Life East, would you take and would you drink? What is also true about worship is not just that we, in this moment, as we sing, we sing because we're full of joy, or even just that we sing to call God's kingdom into this space. But when we call God's kingdom into this space, what inevitably happens is that we have to recognize there are some things that don't belong. And for us, we exist in a world where it is easy to look left and right and see all the things that do not belong. So when we worship, it's not just that we're calling God here, it's that we are actually calling God to remove the things that do not belong here anymore as well. For us to look darkness in the face and say, darkness, you have no place in our lives. To look in the face of violence and hatred and say, hatred, violence, you have no place here. To look in the spaces of sin and brokenness and say, Jesus, would you heal it? Would you bring it? And this is exactly what Jesus does. He's the light of the world who steps into the darkness. And when the light shows up, darkness has no place. So New Life East, as we sing, it's because we recognize that Jesus has worked to bring healing in every area of our lives. So would you sing with our last few moments, would you sing and respond to the light of the world?
Lord will kind of do that, won't he? Sneak up on you. Surprise you in his presence. God is good to us. Amen. Would you lift your hands like this? Receive this blessing as you go. You beloved people of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Our altar ministry team is still going to be available to you if you need prayer for anything. I encourage you to go grab some prayer. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. Go in peace this week to love and serve the Lord, and we'll see you right here next Sunday.